0: Welcome back to the Oklahoma Football Podcast joined by Eli Letterman. I'm Eric Bailey, Tulsa World Beat Riders for the Sooners as uh, a big week is ahead of us. It's Bedlam. Eli, I know you got a taste of it last year when you were covering Oklahoma State. You're kind of unique. You get to cover both teams in two seasons and uh, how excited were you last year when you first saw this game And, and what do you expect this year? Well, this is
1: this is a cool one. I We'll probably get into a lot of how this is like it. You know, we're coming into the last few bedlams at least for a while with the Sooners making their exit for the SEC. But I can say I grew up in New York, not college football country at all. But one of the on-the-radar rivalry games um, always was Oklahoma, Oklahoma State bedlam. And that, I think, tells at least part of the story here. Of, of just what a rivalry this is. Um, and so I was stoked last year. And the fact that that game had all the stakes it had on it attached to it, and then the game really delivered. Uh, and being there, you know, Mike Gundy's only beaten Sooners three times. I, I can say I was there for one of them. Uh, slightly lower stakes this year that we got coming in. Uh, but an interesting question. I teased to you before we hopped on, but I wanted you to have kind of a fresh perspective on it. I was among OU fans last night some pretty serious OU fans and they had a debate that kind of set me back. They said they were, they were debating is, is OU, OSU a rivalry? Is it a legitimate rivalry? A lot of, and most of them said no from that perspective. And it was a lot of the big brother, little brother stuff. It was the 97 and 19, you know, the fact that this historically is not the most competitive rivalry, but I, I just couldn't believe it. So can I ask your take there? Is this a rivalry game?
0: I think it is a rivalry game because you know what? Oklahoma fans hurt a lot when they lose. And I think anytime they lose to OSU, it hurts. So I think it is a rivalry game. I know it's easy to say it's not a rivalry game, but hey, it's two in insta- state programs. And you're looking at an Oklahoma State program that's playing really well right now. You're telling me that, you know, a win or loss to them doesn't matter. Now, I will say this. Yeah. Oklahoma does have a really strong rival in Texas, and that rivalry is going to maintain when both those goes to the go to the SEC. Here's my question for Oklahoma State. And I even asked some of the, the players this year in Big 12 media days. Um, who is Oklahoma State's rival going to be rival going to be when Oklahoma leaves the Big 12? And uh one player, I think, said Iowa State. Someone said Kansas State. And I get it. I see that. You know, those are some rivalries, but Nothing like what Bedlam brings, and I, I just—I'm kind of curious moving forward who Oklahoma State's rivals rival is going to be. Is there going to be a genuine rival out there? So, uh, but no, I this for Oklahoma fans, this is a rivalry. I mean, I know some people say, yeah, they look, you know, they dominated this series, but still, those times that they lost, it still stings a bunch when you lose to Oklahoma State.
1: Well, you're that—that that was kind of my response. I said, so if they lose Saturday, it won't—it won't sting any more than losing to Baylor or West Virginia. Answer, of course, was no. Is there history here? Of course. Is there? Are there families that are split down the middle? Is there crap that gets talked in a week like this? And all year, it's particularly if Oklahoma State wins it, of course. And I'll, I'll, as the, the kind of my trunk card on it is I've spent my week talking to people on both sides of the robbery in the past. First story we'll have out uh, with the Tulsa World tomorrow. And if Dewey Selman and Terry Miller uh, – and uh, Pat Jones and Barry Switzer all think it's a rivalry. I side with them. It's a And roster. they certainly feel that way.
0: Well, but, yeah, go ahead. I'm sorry.
1: Well, no, it's 2022. Oh. We, we got this bedlam to to think about now.
0: Yeah, and, and you know, one, one thing Oklahoma fans have to realize, and Oklahoma State fans as well, uh, this could be the last bedlam game in Norman for quite some time. Now, OU's not scheduled to leave until 2025. You know, things could happen. Maybe they leave in 2024. And if that's the case, this could be the last bedlam game in Norman for, for for a long time. I don't know. We'll see. And so Kelly Hines had a a good story in the Tulsa World this week, looking at this series and how it's you know how is it going to impact both schools. So we'll see what happens there. This rivalry, Eli, it's been fun. You, you mentioned your first one was last year. My first one was 2012 uh, overtime game. Crazy, mm-hmm. crazy game went to overtime. Uh, Blake Bell had a big touchdown to send the game into overtime. Sooners win in overtime. 2013 was my second year. Blake Bell, his very last pass as a college quarterback was uh, back of the end zone throw to Jalen Saunders. And, uh, yeah, I, th- this game is always exciting. You have the, the, the punt that shouldn't have been called by Bob Stoops. You, you, there's just – you look back and you just see all these games. There, there's great games. You know, Mike Gundy going for two points uh, to try to beat the Sooners in Norman a few years ago. A lot going on. Interesting too is one thing that they can't settle on. And we talked a little bit about this before is the series. OU OU's yeah. official notes say OU leads the series 19, 9, 90, 19 and 7. OSU's notes say they leave their the series is 89 27. So we lost a game there somewhere.
1: Well I think in my, in my unscientific research I might have identified it as that 1972 game where the Sooners won 38 to 15 and Norman but according to that that falls into i think a range where uh OU was dealing with some kind of NCAA sanctions and and forfeited some games in that range and that might be the the discrepancy but e- either way we it's historically been a lopsided rivalry that we know
0: you know, it's funny, uh, sold-out crowd, uh, the game was announced as a sellout uh, weeks ago, so everyone's looking forward to this game. Uh, evening game, surprise me, 6.30 on ABC. Our our friend Dusty Dvorak going to be the analyst. Uh, he, he's already mentioned that he's, he's looking forward to calling a Bedlam game. So uh, 6.30, I mean, it shows that there's still some weight in Bedlam, even though Oklahoma is, is struggling this season.
1: Well, I think some of that can be owed to the fact, if you look at the college football slate this weekend, there really isn't much there. That's not to diminish Bedlam, but all the SEC schools are are mostly playing their non-conference games. I mean, you got the LSU's playing UAB, Missouri's got New Mexico State, so the SEC is a bit off the table. And across the country, there isn't much, and that sets up that even in a, a down year for this rivalry game. I mean, this is probably one of the years where the, we've come in, not neither team really having much going for it, and certainly not much to play for. I think Oklahoma State still has an outside mathematical chance of getting to Arlington. But we're, we're kind of at this point in the year, but you're exactly right. It still has that cachet, and uh, I, I wonder how the OSU fans will fear, feel about an OU guy in the booth uh, without some <laughs> kind of counterbalance. They couldn't grab Brandon Whedon or, or somebody. Maybe the only person they'd be less pleased with would be RG3. I know people haven't loved listening to him call OU games, uh, but it, it's going to be a fun one. You
0: know, uh, when we look at these two programs, uh, it feels weird to say this, but uh, Two bro- programs are in complete opposite directions right now. We look at Oklahoma State; they're 21 and five over their past 26 games, really playing good football over the last two seasons. We look at Oklahoma; they have five losses in 10 games this season. So, Oklahoma State five losses in 26. Oklahoma five and 10. I know Brent Venables is trying to turn things around, and you know he's had some tough losses. But this is one of those games where you really feel like. They need to win this game. I mean, if anything, they need to hit bowl eligibility. They still haven't – they're still not locked in for postseason yet, and they only have two more chances to get a win. So this is huge. I know playing at home is going to be a big deal for the Sooners. It's senior night. There will be some seniors playing their very last games on that stadium field – inside that stadium, so that will be exciting. But, man, this really is a must-win game for the Sooners. Well, I
1: think, you know, if you'd asked me this time last week of the remaining games on the schedule, I would have looked at West Virginia as – not that any game in the Big 12 or you know any week is a gimme, but I would have looked at West Virginia and said that's the one where they can get win number six, get bowl eligible, and we'll see what happens there. That didn't happen, and now Saturday night might have the makings of, of their most winnable game remaining. I just – I think, you know, Bedlam, rivalry game, you throw out all the records, all that. There's the home crowd. It's going to be cold. Maybe that – I don't right. know whose favor that works in. But I, I I sort of have a hard time believing that the Sooners can't get a win this weekend. That then they can go to, to Lubbock uh, on the road, even though it's been an up and down Texas Tech team. You you just start it, it's it's dicey here. If bowl eligibility is important, um, certainly is to this program, I, you know I think there's probably fans out there who are not going to be stoked about an Armed Forces Bowl or a Liberty Bowl, given where the Sooners have been in the past. But it it's I mean the window is closing, and I, I think you know outside of the perception. You remove that, the perception of not making a bowl game in year one, losing their bowl streak, second best in the country. If you're thinking about building and where they want to get and that this is a foundation they're building up, those 15 bowl practices, we heard it this week from from both coordinators and Brent Venables, they view that as, as perhaps the most important part. It's just getting another month with this group. A lot of those young guys that people are going to want to see contribute next year, that's that's kind of, I, to me, that's like what they're playing for right now. And they've got two two games to, to achieve it.
0: To have success on Saturday we look at this team and it, offensively uh just really disappointing last week in West Virginia only three scoring drives the whole afternoon uh you look two weeks ago they they missed out on five opportunities to score points in in the first half in the loss to Baylor it, it's just one of those things where they just cannot find consistency on offense and I think that's the key and it really uh just surprisingly it started on third down last week one of 11 on third down they were OA two. On fourth down, they just didn't take opportunities to move the chains. And I think it's this Oklahoma State defense. It, it could be a long day if, if you can't move the football against these Cowboys.
1: It's an interesting matchup because this is not the Oklahoma State defense of a year ago. I think early on this season, they did a pretty good impression. But the cracks have shown they're allowing more passing yards uh, than I mean, passing touchdowns than anybody in the league. They have the pass rush, but they don't have the rush defense they had. And so th- it's a vulnerable offense uh, excuse me defense eric gray should be able to kind of do what he's been doing and there should be pockets for them to throw into but as we saw just a week ago they th- these seniors can the way it's going this season for them they can get marvin mims open downfield draw up the right play get him open and still struggle to connect and those little things whether it's the penalties the, the third down conversions the drop passes they've just found ways to really trip themselves up and as it's shown, they can't afford to do that. I don't think they can this weekend. Uh, I think it sets up for a really big game, important game for Dylan Gabriel. This is, he missed out on Texas. So he didn't get that kind of rivalry introduction, but probably the, the biggest stage he's ever played on. Um, if you think back on his time at UCF and now in his first season at OU. And the fact is he's struggled relatively these past few weeks. I mean, they've been the, the three least productive games of his OU career, his young OU career. And I, I think Saturday between two teams that are just sort of a little bit all over the place, it could come down to the quarterback play and maybe Spencer Sanders' health, but this is maybe the day you need Dylan Gabriel to go above and beyond. And we'll see if, I, I don't put it all on him, but if he can do it and if this offense um, can do it. Because you know what, last weekend, he he had two touchdowns basically taken off the board. There was the, the pass interference with Braden Willis and then you know the Marvin Mims throw, Dylan Gabriel did everything right there. Um, so, so this offense on the whole needs to be sharper. I think if they're going to come out with with win number six this weekend.
0: You know, you you mentioned it's the little things. You're right. You mentioned the men's catch, but the the passing of Ferris was huge. Yeah. One yard that it really is a game of inches because one yard you, you just had, uh, Braden Willis not catching the ball behind the line of scrimmage, which forced the Theo Weiss pass interference and uh, took a touchdown off the board, took points off the board. So you're, you're right. It's the little things. And that's probably the most frustrating thing to this coaching staff because they can see it, uh, but they just can't, they're just shooting themselves in the foot too much. I will say I was impressed with Levy a little bit uh, running the football. He stayed patient running the football and and Eric Gray really feasted last week. And you're right. There's going to be odd chances to run the football this, this game too. Um, Just got to stay patient with that. And, If you're patient with that, run the football, and you get Dylan Gabriel to, um, you know, connect on some passes, make some throws. You're going to have success offensively. Um, Defensively, you know, I just – I don't know how to – how do you prepare for this Oklahoma State team? You don't know what quarterback you're going to get. My money's on Spencer Sanders playing because he gives Oklahoma State the best opportunity to win this football game. And uh, it's strange because it's just – and we talk about consistency and consistency. I thought last week the defense didn't play too bad um, overall. I mean, I thought they they played. They gave their team a chance to win. Um, needed to get some more big stops. It just seems like they make critical mistakes at the worst possible times. Uh, but giving up twenty three on the road, you really think that gives you an opportunity to win a football game? It didn't last week. So we'll see how they build upon that.
1: Yeah, I think you know. Well, I I agree. It was like a better defensive performance. The issue was they still got beat like in the places they've been getting beat. So what they looking right now, I mean, they seven to 19 for West Virginia on third down four or five on fourth down. So sometimes little things on offense, the little things on defense in those big situations, they were still vulnerable. But the fact is that they got beat on the ground again. The, what, what changed that game was the, the swapping out of JT Daniels for Garrett green and a Russian quarterback who was able to run all over them the way uh squirrel williams did when baylor came and and the way other teams have and and that's where you look this week at a a relatively unremarkable osu backfield dominic richardson's a really good runner Jaden nixon has shown flashes spencer sanders can do it with his feet but we don't know what his status is i mean he might be best off just sitting in the pocket but this is an ou defense that has made unspectacular running games look spectacular at times this year and so you Again, I come into this week wondering, is this finally the time they can, can they stop the run or or is it where they, uh, you know, again, it it kind of becomes that same old movie all over again. And something that, that Brent Venables noted this week, and if you look at the stats, you see it, the three linebackers, Deshaun White, Danny Stutzman, and David Aguagbu, they're playing, if not every snap every week, pretty dang close to it. And you're seeing that wear down late in games when you think about having to stop teams and, and stop a rushing attack that's worn you down late in the game. That depth is hurting them. They lost TD Roof in training camp. Who knows what he could have provided, but he was a veteran. And while Brent Venable spoke really highly of the three freshman linebackers, Jaron Canet, Kobe McKenzie, Kip Lewis, this week, really did. He, he talked about how in the future those are going to be guys and he's excited about that group. But they're not at a place yet where they can relieve the starters. And I think. That is, if you want to, like, really get to the crux of where this why this defense breaks down late in games. Or you think about the late drive against Baylor, and last week, West Virginia holds the ball for the final six-some-odd minutes. That depth is what's hurting them, and that goes all the way back to the offseason and, shoot, back to this time last year. I mean, Bedlam last year. Who was the head coach, Eric? For Oklahoma? I can't
0: remember. Oh, yeah, that's <laughs> at USC now. Yeah, yeah,
1: and so, and, and with him, you lost a lot of defensive depth to the draft. There were, uh, you know, this this the depth that they lost, I think, in the offseason has been biting them all year. And that's not something you see when you watch on Saturday, but when you really break it down, I, I think that could be at the, at the heart of a lot of this.
0: We we talk about depth. Uh, let's go into the injury report, because that really did play a factor in the loss at West Virginia. Uh, a couple players missing. There'll be a couple of players back this week, it looks like. Just give us an update on on the depth situation.
1: So here's what we got from Brent Venables on Tuesday. I mean, watching there, I, I was I was home here for the West Virginia game, but watching at home, I was worried Justin Broyles' career might have come to an end in Morgantown. I don't know what it was like there in the press box. Um, but he apparently it's a hyperextended knee, which sounds painful, is painful, and that's a painful injury, but is a lot better than anything any of the other possibilities. So it sounds like he's going to be back. He was going to have an MRI late this week, but that was sort of – kind of a precautionary, let's just make sure all's good. So Justin Broyles should be back, and, and also missing at West Virginia were Key Lawrence and, and Jaden Davis. They're going to be back too, and if you want to you know, think about having to defend Spencer Sanders, having three of your veteran DBs back in there who you didn't have, uh, two of them not at all at West Virginia, and Justin Broyles was out from midway through the second quarter on, that's big and you know maybe a, a pretty important one, if we're talking about a pass rush and trying to run the football, uh, is Andrew Rain? He he came out in the third quarter. We don't quite know the injury, but he he didn't return. And Brent Venables said this week, you know, essentially his quote was it'll be up to how Andrew feels. And that leads me to think, not knowing anything about the injury, that, you know, Andrew, Andrew Raym's a gamer. Maybe he can gut this out. But Brent Venables did say he's gonna need to have surgery at some point. So whatever he's dealing with is is not in, insignificant. Um, and that could be, you know, we don't we talk about line play a lot, but when you think about X factors, you don't often think about the center. But if there's no Andrew Rame and it's Robert Condrill in there, you, that that could be you know one of those things we look back sometime late Saturday night after this game is final and say, man, they really missed Andrew Rame. So that that's that might be more central than any of those DBs is, is him. And last one, Jalen Redmond, who yeah. played three snaps uh, at West Virginia, almost didn't notice it. And the line play was pretty good up front, but he played three snaps. Sounds like you know he's had knee issues in the past. Sounds like they're still lingering and that limited him. So. TBD on him for this week as well.
0: You were uh, in Norman this week. I was in Kansas City. Uh, it's one of those things where you know there's still two games to play, but more importantly, signing days on December 21st, and the Sooners uh, have an opportunity to try to you know add some much-needed depth to this recruiting class. And so we had a chance to talk to a couple of Kansas City players. Um, we're going to try this.
1: Can- North Kansas it.
0: City High School star. Defensive end PJ. I'm cheating on his first name. Adibawari. There we go. You got I, it. I'm gonna have to learn how to say this. I mean, usually all I have to. Do I, oh, I think you will. Yeah, he's yeah. gonna
1: be legit if he gets here. Uh, yeah,
0: yeah. Obo Okoronko was the last hard name I had to learn when we used to play for the Sooners. I had a chance to talk to PJ and then also talk to Caden Green from Lee Summit North. Uh, two of the you know two of the rivals' top hundred players that are on their commitment list for 23. Went up there just with one question, given the five and five start, how much struggling OU's had this year, how firm are their commitments? And I was kind of curious how what they would both say. And uh, PJ said, very firm, strong commitments that he wouldn't have committed if he didn't mean it. And it's going to stay that way. Uh, Caden Green said, he's not going to be decommitting. Uh, he's signing next month and he'll be here in January. Both of them, in fact, will be here in January. So really neat talk with both these young men, just outstanding kids, Um very polite, very high on Oklahoma and what they're doing. They understand, both of them, that they got to be patient. They have to wait and see what's going to happen. They're building things. They, they really bought into this, this, this message from the Oklahoma coaches. Uh, it's funny, with PJ First, he's gotten some uh, text messages this week for some power, power schools. I mean, I think Georgia and Notre Dame are still reaching out and he says, he still gets those things, but he doesn't think nothing of them. He said, it's, he said, they have a job to do. They're still going to reach out and just see, you know, take the temperature of things. But he understands that he understands, you know, he thought when he, when he first started getting these calls, he thought it was the coolest thing ever. Now it's like, every day his phone beeps and he knows it's another school calling him just checking in making sure you know everything's cool with OU but uh he, he adamantly said more than once that he's firm with his commitment to Oklahoma that's an important that's a uh, position of need uh edge rusher 6'4, uh long armed I mean I had a chance to meet him per- in person and just very long length you, you, you're gonna like this link if you're an Oklahoma fan so uh impressed with him and his uh his uh, older brother is plays at Northwestern and really a mentor to him, too. So I, I think it's just a neat relationship, that brother uh, brother relationship that you have. King Green, OU fan all his life. I don't think there's any concerns about him uh, flipping, decommitting. He said, really, he hasn't got a lot of contact from schools ever since his commitment, or recently, I should say. Uh, I think everyone knows he's locked into OU. Offensive tackle said he doesn't know where they'll play him. Uh, when he gets to Oklahoma, if he go inside or stay outside. Uh, just impressed with, ha- you know, what his, his message was. I mean, family was so huge with this. And it was really neat how he told me how he got – and we're going to write about both these guys a little more in the future. Uh, you know, when he was getting recruited, it was during COVID – and he made these workout videos at the urging of his mom. His mom said, make these workout videos and let these coaches see what you could do, and that's what they did, and Bill Biedenboe took notice at OU, so I thought that was pretty cool, and talking to him, but he's still in the the Missouri State playoffs. They're in a quarterfinal game, or a final four game this weekend, too, so they're trying to win a state championship at at Lee's Summit, and you can tell his focus is on there, Lee's Summit North, I'm sorry, you can tell his focus is on that, so I think that's pretty cool, but for Oklahoma fans, both those guys are supposed to be there at the Bedlam game this weekend. Both are are going to sign or be in Norman on January 14th to get a head start on their careers. Again, they're rivals, 100 players. Both, uh, both are excited. Both are, are, are really pumped about the opportunity to play at Oklahoma. So I had a good time talking to both. We have a story online talking about how firm their commitments are. We'll have profiles on both those players pretty soon as we draw closer to signing day. Uh, while I was out of state, I know you made a visit somewhere. Oh, go ahead. I'm sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt. No, well, no.
1: Well, shoot, talking about Caden Green, Bill Biedenbow knows from decent offensive linemen, right? Yeah. He's oh, yeah. That I mean, he's identified it. That tends to be a a, a strong, strong indication. Yeah. With Caden Green.
0: Yeah, and, and Caden Green, he even says that. He's a big fan of both Orlando Brown and Creed Humphrey, who, who play for the Chiefs right there in Kansas City. Mm-hmm. So he's a big fan of those guys. And he sees, you know, he can he saw what Bill Beadmow can do to an offensive lineman in terms of getting them to the next level. He sees it every Sunday with his hometown NFL team. So uh yeah, he's excited about the opportunity to get to OU.
1: Well, you were getting to it though. I you were out of town and I went down to Mustang, and they've got a game against Janks Friday night. If they can I think that's gonna be one of the bigger playoff games in the state. Uh, And I met down there with Jacoby Johnson, who is one of the top ranked recruits in this class and in the state of Oklahoma uh, for this year, but he's also one of only two in-state commits to the Sooners for 2023. And kind of heard similar things about a this time of year. And I I don't think this is unique to the Sooners, but the fact is they are five and five is all their kids are getting, still getting phone calls. That Mm -hmm. commitment doesn't ward off a lot of people. And so Still hearing from a lot of places, and I don't want to spill too much because, like you said, we're going to be writing about these guys a lot coming up. But, you know, a lot of, a lot of what I heard from, from Jacoby, who was a really mature, you know, high school senior, was trusting the process of not looking at a, the record this year. But he's bought in on, on what Brent Venables and this staff. He's, he's had a lot of contact with Jay Vilay and Jeff Lebby. Both sides of the ball is interesting. Um, and, and he's uh, seemingly, like those guys in Kansas City, pretty firm on this. And I'll have more on him next week. But one interesting note, I spoke with Lee Blankenship about him, uh, the head coach at Mustang. And Jacoby Johnson is six foot three. He's big, sturdy. He plays defensive back. And he plays wide receiver. He's coming to OU as an athlete. And I think there might even be some. Just you know, they're gonna have to fight on either side of the ball for where they're gonna put him because I think so there's exciting. a view yes. a view that he could be. Uh, I elite
0: on either side of the ball. You know, i go back to PJ real quick, if you don't mind. Um, something that made me laugh now that I think about it is uh just his relationship with Miguel Shavis. I see that was that's the key to his recruitment. Uh he said that uh he was the first to reach out to him from OU and said that. He calls him all the time. Said it's always Facetime. It's never a phone call. He's always Facetiming him. I mean, he wants to see you face to face. Said one of the first times he called, he had all kinds of coaches in the car with him, too. So Chavis is a big key to this recruiting. And you know, I, I really I get that. You get the feel. The only way he'll be, that PJ will decommit is if uh, there's a coaching change, position coach, head coach, which we know not going to happen. So that that was something else. I thought I thought it was really big how he just said how much he really has been impressed by uh, Miguel Chavis.
1: Yeah, well, recruiting on the whole, like this time of year, it's, uh, what, November 17th at 11.48 a.m. Right now, the Sooners class is largely intact. Uh, but th- this next, you know, month, it's about mm-hmm. getting to signing day with this group. And uh, ideally, I think for the Sooners adding to it, you mentioned those guys will be in town. I, I, David Hicks, mm-hmm. who is the A&M commit, who, who yeah. flipped on the Sooners. He's going to be here this weekend. And we've seen how things are going at A&M. So for as much as, People might point out and say, you know, OU has guys who are vulnerable because of how OU is playing. Mm-hmm. So does Texas a and And so do winning teams. I mean, this is the time of year where every kid in the country who is coveted and anyone that have a bigger program or any big program thinks they can flip is going to be here. And so this next month is important. And we know how, you know, I, I talked about those uh, December practices, if they can get those for the bowl game are big toward building to the future. Maybe more important than that, than that is getting this first, full Brent Venable signing class across the line and, and and that that is where if you're if you're tired of this season and five and five, look at at the recruiting end of it and say uh, th- this is where the future is going to be and where it's going to come from. so they, they've got to get to do t- december twenty first But Eric, away from this, you had a fascinating story today in the Tulsa world <laughs> about the road warrior.
0: The OU Road Warrior, uh, Phil Owens, Oklahoma City lawyer, has been to 403 straight OU games, be number 404 at Bedlam this week. I uh, had a chance to talk to him and uh, uh, just a genuine Oklahoma fan. And, and it's funny because I asked, you know, why do you do this? He said, I'm not special. I just do it. I just like OU football. Uh, I, I just do it. I mean, it's just he just thinks of himself as an everyday guy, but it's not often you see someone going, Dedicating Saturdays to OU football like as much as he had since 91, he hasn't missed a game, which is incredible. It's an incredible string. Um, There's a lot on that story if you get a chance to read it uh, for people out there. I asked him to pick his favorite five Bedlam games, favorite five wins, five toughest losses uh toughest weather days and let's let's just talk about bedlam first of all when i asked him about bedlam he said he doesn't use the b word because in a rivalry this lopsided it doesn't deserve a name
1: see Uh, we we talked about earlier that we talked earlier there's some folks that don't even look at it that
0: way exactly so he said he never says the b word um and so uh memorable ou games He, he said 1990 believe it or not 1990 is one of his favorite ones uh Eli, I don't even think uh, – yeah, you weren't born then. I'm sorry. I, I was
1: hardly a thought, thought yet.
0: I know. I don't know if your parents were even – yeah, <laughs> even meet, have not met yet. Uh, 1990 was a – he took me back, and I remember this now. Uh, Oklahoma uh, playing OSU. A couple seconds left. Uh, Oklahoma was going to down, you know, right out the clock. Pat Jones calls timeout for fourth down. It's like ball was at midfield. Um, and instead of uh, letting the clock run out, Pat Jones calls four timeouts to try to get OU to punt. Well, instead, OU, by quarterback Kel Gundy, calls a Hail Mary. And it's, it's infinitely known as the uh, the kill Mary because uh, found a touch, okay. Adrian Cooper, in the end zone for a touchdown on the final play. And OSU basically helped him get that touchdown. So he said that was one of his favorite Bedlam memories. Also, uh, 44-7 uh, when the Bob Stoops' first year, uh, 52-9. Les Miles, OSU coach, was on the ABC broadcast before the game when they did the coaches' interviews, and OSU was playing really well. And Les Miles tells the P- ABC uh, court, uh, reporter, let's let her rip, let her rip. And, and then OU wins 52-9. I know Brent Venables even mentioned it. <laughs> yeah, I was going
1: to say, he mentioned it. He, yeah. he kind of got a chuckle. He didn't say anything. He just basically repeated the quote and then chuckled this week. and. So he's probably still yeah. got some some fond memories there. I will say this. You mentioned 1990, November 17th, 1990. My parents, in fact, got married. Today is their anniversary. And I know they'll oh. listen. So quick. Happy anniversary to them. I was maybe I was a thought then, but a, a minimal thought. Happy anniversary. Steve to the them. 32 Letterman. years. Oh, that's awesome. But, well, that's Kale, well Kale, the Kale Mary came right around. Uh, years. There.
0: Well, good for them. <laughs> Uh, but, yeah, then, you know, we just went down the list with Phil. We went down yeah. uh, favorite OU wins. Uh, you know, he mentioned the OU went over Nebraska in 2000. Uh, the one, uh, you know, it was red October when OU won in 2000 to get back on, you know, the really reach the mountaintop again. Road games at Tennessee and Ohio State. Uh, yeah, the, it, it was just a fascinating – it was a fascinating conversation with them. We had a really good time going back and kind of reliving these moments in OU history over the past – 30 years so if you get a chance that that number that uh on the, the website lastly uh let's talk some basketball we haven't had you know well, there's games going on now and uh oklahoma's coming off a pretty impressive win aren't they
1: yeah so t- shoot it's tuesday night this week man it's, it's been a blur <laughs> but tuesday night um after kind of the loss to st houston to open things and uh still kind of a shaky win over pine Bluff last friday finally felt like a non-conference early season basketball game at Lloyd Noble. I mean, Oklahoma hosted UNC Wilmington, and, and it's a good Wilmington team, but it felt like a, a power conference team hosting a mid-major. And they they jumped out early. They were the more talented team, and they played like it. Uh, hit their first four three-pointers, for, and those were their first four shots from the field. And I think that was the really a, an important turning point. because Porter Moser has said, you know, we're getting the right shots. They're just not falling. And there's no debating, even if you feel good about what you're doing, that when the shots finally fall, he said that first media timeout, they came to the bench and everyone just knew, like, all right, it, <laughs> it's working for us. And it continued that way. And the, the big development to me was, was that Joe Bamisil, the, the George Washington transfer, finally had his big night because he had struggled for, through those first two games and he would had kind of a short leash with Porter Moser. And you're sitting there thinking, well, this guy's, you know, a junior. It's, it's, he's not a freshman. He, you know, is a veteran guy who's experienced and all that. What's up? And, and finally, the shots fell for him Tuesday night. And it was his big breakout was part of easily their best performance this season. Tomorrow night, they host South Alabama. That'll be their final home game of a four-game homestand to kick things off. And then I, we'll probably really get a sense of who they are when they go to Florida next week, play some other bigger programs uh, in kind of one of your early season, season tournaments. Oh,
0: and, well, I'll, yeah, go ahead. I'm sorry.
1: Well, the women, I was going to yeah. just mention to you. Yeah,
0: what a, what a game. Uh, <laughs> Sooner start 3-0. Uh, uh, let's see, what is today? Okay, Tuesday night, real nice road win against BYU, 3-0, and then they go and they hit a buzzsaw when they went to Utah. It's not often you see schools go back-to-back. Uh, Oklahoma played BYU on Tuesday, went to Utah on uh, Wednesday night and lost 124-78. Uh, most points ever allowed by an OU, OU women's basketball team. A previous high was 111. Uh, in the 2017-18 season uh, overtime game uh, up in uh, up in Chicago, so tough, tough loss for uh, Jenny Bronchek and her team. And it it just they they played so well, but it tells you they do they need to outscore teams to win games. And this might be a good indication of uh, they do. If they're not shooting well, not sharing the basketball, too many turnovers, it, it could be a nightmare scenario. So it's something you know if you're in the preseason, it's not a bad loss because. Utah's going to go out and win a lot of games, but still, it really opens up your eyes to a lot of things you need to fix. If you're Coach Bronchek, they are off, and they have two more road games. It's a four-game road road stretch for OU, which you really don't see a a lot of road games. Uh, They go to Arlington on Sunday, and then they go Arkansas State on uh, Tuesday, so we'll see if things can get turned around, Um, uh, but that's, yeah, Oklahoma, I think it was just one of those things where it is an eye-opening moment for the Sooners.
1: Probably one of those early season losses that might might have been needed, you know, when that comes, but certainly exposes. I think we knew they were going to score a lot of points this year. Uh, This tells you that they're going to need to maybe shore things up because, as you said, unless they're going to outscore everybody uh, and, and the expectations that are there for this team to go deep into March. The defense is probably going to have to come with that.
0: All right, well. Eli a this is probably our longest one we've done. It's, yeah. We did a lot of things, the Bedlam week, recruiting, so it's, it's been a lot of fun. We'll be back next week to see if Oklahoma still needs that sixth win for bowl eligibility, or uh, or maybe they could enjoy their Thanksgiving dinner before they prepare and, and go to Lubbock. So, uh, Eli, thanks for joining us. Uh, we'll be back next week. Thanks for uh, watching us. You can check this out on where, Eli, where can you get these? podcast everywhere
1: the- you get your podcast spotify google apple everywhere and of course you can read our stuff at tulsa we're gonna between us and the OSU beat and whole staff effort it's gonna be a, a good week of coverage at the tulsa world and tulsa so please yeah
0: tune minivan. in read all that we got a minivan full of six people headed to, headed to norman from tulsa so we're looking forward to and it. and i'm glad that i'm
1: already halfway here i don't need to be in that we'll meet
0: you there <laughs> thanks for watching you everybody